This morning we conclude a series on common causes. There are many things that divide Christians, and what we're talking about are things that unite Christians. Looked at communion, which is being of one mind, community, one heart, and commission, one mouth. What we've seen, in order to love with one heart and speak and serve with one mouth, we have to be of one mind, and that's challenging. That's the question. What is the message that we are to reflect and believe together and reflect to the world? Um, if somebody were to ask that to you, what would you say? What's the message that we are to believe and speak? When it comes to the Bible, there's a lot of detail. It's a big book, lots of different ideas, and it's very easy to miss the forest for the trees. We get so tied up in the trees of the minor things that we lose track of what the forest is. And that's what we're going to try to get. What What is the message that we are to get? Paul tells us what the message is. And what we're going to think about is getting the message, guarding the message, and giving the message. Find what Paul says as 2 Corinthians 5. That's what he says. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The message God wants us to believe is the message of, and if Paul puts one word to describe what the message is, here's the word reconciliation. What is the message we're to get? It's the message of reconciliation. What is the message we're to guard? The message of reconciliation. What's the message we're to give? The message of reconciliation. When Paul identifies one word that describes what the message is, this is the word he chooses. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Reconciliation is literally to change a relationship from that of being enemies to that of being friends. It's to change a relationship. Reconciliation causes us, as children of God, to be able to sing what we sang this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Reconciliation allows us to say, I am a friend of God. That's literally what it means. It's to it's to be in a place where we are God's enemies, and then God reconciles us to himself. And because God acts and does that, we are in a position to be able to say and sing, I am a friend of God. Reconciliation is enacted by the offended party. Again, if, if you do something against me that causes our relationship to be one of enmity, you did something to me that, would, that offended me, and let's say it's the holiday season and I decide I want to hold that against you. What I would do then as the offended party, I would inaugurate reconciliation and I would do something to appeal to you to say, hey, listen, man, I know what happened and it was unfortunate. What I'm letting you know is I don't want that to get in the way of our relationship. So I'm going to take that offense and I'm setting it aside that's how I initiate reconciliation. And if you believe me, and if you say, you know what, I got a thing from Mike. Mike called me on the phone or he texted me, and I think we're good. 
then if you believe it, then the reconciliation has been extended and received. And that's the way it is. When applied to God and mankind, it's God's part to overlook the offenses in order to extend his love. He looks past the offenses in order to extend love. And you know what our part is? To believe that that is true. To accept it and to remain in it. In your worship folder, there is an article from um, Vase for Grace that talks about reconciliation. Why don't you take that out? I'm going to read that. And um, you follow along. It says, is God counting your sins? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. This passage contains one of the clearest, most succinct descriptions of the purposes of God in the entire Bible. In a short, concise sentence, we come to understand why God the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. If you were to memorize, and I'm going to depart from this for just a second, if you were to memorize a sentence that sums up what the message of the Bible is, this is the sentence. Right from the Bible, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. Think about it. Talks about God. What was he doing? God was reconciling. Who was God reconciling? God was reconciling the world to himself. How did he do it? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. To reconcile is to change. I'm back to the article is to change the nature of something. In this case, God changed the nature of the relationship that exists between himself and the people who populate the world. He sent his son Jesus Christ into this sin-filled world to announce that his intentions were peaceful rather than hostile, kind rather than harsh, loving rather than wrathful. God did not send his son into the world to satisfy his hatred of sin. Jesus' death is commonly portrayed as the means whereby God balances the scales of divine justice. Mankind's sin on one side of the scale, Jesus' blood as a sacrifice for sin on the other side. In this view, God the Father sends his Son to the earth to pay the price demanded by his holy hatred of sin. This is not the image painted by this verse God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. God the Father sent his Son on a mission of great peace. Jesus didn't come to proclaim that God the Father was at war with mankind because of millennia of sin. He came to proclaim that his Father was not counting men's sins against them. Jesus told a story about a man who owed a king a lot of money. The amount of the debt was staggering. Take the gross national product of the nation of Israel at the time. Jesus told the story. Multiply it by ten. That is how much this man owed the king. The king's representative summoned the man. 
Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay, repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Not a very realistic proposal. He didn't comprehend the magnitude of his debt. Based on the daily wage at that time, it would take the man over 10,000 years to pay the debt. The king's representative did the unthinkable. The servant's master, to pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. Acting on the king's behalf, the representative pulled up the man's debt on the screen, clicked select all, and pressed delete. He didn't take money from the national coffers to cover the debt. He didn't restructure the debt. He didn't sell it to a collection company. He simply canceled it. God's forgiveness means the debt is canceled. There is a line in the Lord's Prayer we recite different ways. Forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts. Which one is authentic? Well, both are biblical. Luke records it one way, Matthew another. It's Matthew, the form of tax collector, who records Jesus saying, forgive us our debts, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, literally cancel our debts. Do what the king's representative did, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's get back to the man whose debt is canceled. He walks away from the audit, sees a man who owed him a couple months worth of wages and has the guy thrown in prison. This did not sit well with the king's representative. You wicked slave, he said, servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Why didn't he forgive the man who was indebted to him? Perhaps he left the audit too soon. On paper, he was in the clear. In his mind, he was still indebted. It hadn't sunk in yet. It didn't sink into his mind yet. It would be nice to be able to write another character into Jesus' story, someone who sits the man down before he walks away from the audit. He spells it out for him. Your debt is canceled. The wonder of it begins to dawn on him. The forgiven man, the awareness of receiving forgiveness would help him to extend forgiveness to others. Fortunately, we can't change the man's story. It's already written. Your story is not yet written. Reflect on what God has done for you. Reflect on it. Make room for it in your thoughts. Don't walk away from it. Look at it. God didn't send his son to count your debt. He sent him to cancel. This is the message God wants us to get. He wants us to think about it, be clear about it. What is this message? It's the message of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. Could you memorize that? Think about it. 
God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. It's the message he wants us to get. It's also the message he wants us to guard. Look what it says. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, what you've heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul viewed the message of reconciliation as a present, as a precious divine deposit that he entrusted to some people in order that those people would take this gift and share it with mankind. That's the way Paul sees this message of reconciliation. And he, as with any valuable possession, he told Timothy, you better guard it. Um, It's one thing to guard valuable earthly possessions, you know, like bank accounts or goods or houses. We might, we all have different things we do to try to protect those things that are precious to us. How are we supposed to guard a message? If he has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us so that we would accept it, believe it, guard it, how are we to guard a message like that? Later in the same letter, Paul gives Timothy some practical advice. Look what he says to him. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. How do you guard the message? Uh, It tells tells us about something you can do. Uh, In order, if you want to guard the message, be kind, able to teach, gently instructing those who um, gently instructing those who are in opposition to the truth. Um, talk about how God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. What does it mean to fail to guard it? Here's the interesting thing. Um, getting into foolish, stupid arguments. That's not how we're to guard the message. Um, guarding the message is not accomplished by fighting against liberals or conservatives. God hasn't entrusted his children with the liberal manifesto. Nor has he entrusted us with the conservative manifesto. What he has entrusted us with is the message of reconciliation. This is the the divine deposit that he has given us. And to guard it means that we talk about it and think about it. It's what we have been given to entrust to the world. To argue and to get caught up in things like that. Have you ever noticed how good politicians are talking about politics? When they can always figure a way to say what what they want to say in the debates. You ever notice that in the debate? You could ask him about the the price of tea in China, and he would be able to take and steer it back to the message. They're really good at that. Frankly, I think that's what we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to figure a way to move things back to the message of reconciliation. And let me encourage us, 
have views, but with respect to reflecting what God wants us to reflect, you're not going to focus on political parties because we haven't been given a political message. We've been given the message of reconciliation. That is what we're tasked to extend to others. That's what he wants us to guard. He wants us to guard it and give it. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. He has committed to us, literally entrusted to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors are dispatched to speak on behalf of heads of state. That's where so a king or a president would dispatch an ambassador to go to a foreign country to represent the king or head of state in that country. The king or the head of state can't go. So what he does, he picks representatives, sends them to go in his stead, in his name, as his representative. That's what an ambassador does. Ambassadors are different from heralds. What a herald does, a herald says exactly what he has been given to say. He proclaims it in the street corners or in the, in the courts, and he proclaims it. Hear ye, hear ye. But an ambassador is different. An ambassador needs to understand the king or head of state well enough to represent him in the negotiations. He really has to get the message. He has to understand what it is that the king has sent him to say. He has to get it, he has to guard it, and he has to give it. Um, what is the message God's ambassadors proclaim? Clean up your act. Be reconciled to God. That's the message we're supposed to proclaim. Be reconciled to God. The message is simple, but challenging to get, guard, and give. It's tough because it can those tasked to speak in his behalf don't always represent themselves as messengers of reconciliation. They don't, and it confuses people. The problem isn't just with the transmitters, though. The problem can be with the receivers. Uh, look what it says. If we get the next one, preach the word. Thanks, John. It says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Paul talks about a time when he talks with Timothy. Timothy understood the message, but what Paul says, Timothy, we're going to be in trouble. There's going to be a time when people will not be able to sit still and listen for an extended period of time to anything. Instead, he says, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll tune in this teacher, and they'll tune in that teacher. Oh, that's kind of not good. I want to tune this in. Oh, I want to tune this in. Tune, tune, tune. Flit, 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 is my question. Can you get guard and give the message of reconciliation 
if you flit from flower to flower to flower to flower, from teacher to teacher to teacher to teacher to teacher? And the answer is no. Well, Paul says it's, it would be the virtual equivalent that there is a virulent disease and there's a vaccine. And it's available to deal with this virulent disease. I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking more generally. Let's say there's this virulent disease, worse than COVID. And there's a vaccine. And if we could only get this vaccine to people, but there's no needles. It needs to be injected, but there's no needles. You know what it describes? Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, there's going to be a time when... We can have the truth and say the message, but there'll be a time when people will not be able to stay tuned long enough to get, guard, and give it. You know, I we talk about this all the time, and I understand at some point it's tiring to go over the same thing. But what we're going to do is go over the same thing. Because you know what we've been trusted with? The message of reconciliation. It's what he gave us. We don't get the the ability to say, oh, I think I'll say something else, because that's not what he's told us to say. What he's told us to say, you know it yet? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. You know what he wants us to say? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he's given us the message of reconciliation. We implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. Um, In light of the problem facing mankind, it seems like this message is a bad divine strategy. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of stuff happening out there. Pretty ugly. And to be able to kind of speak about a nice message like that. doesn't make much sense, does it? There was a time, and I'll close with this, that Israel was really in bad shape. It describes truth is nowhere to be found. Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. There was a time in Israel's history where they were morally bankrupt. It, it was, if you wanted to look for truth and justice, you couldn't find it. Look what God's reaction to this was. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. God looked at the absence of justice, and he was displeased by it. He didn't like it. However, there was a stronger reaction. It's going to say he was appalled. He was displeased that there was no justice. Appalled is a stronger reaction. Here's what it says. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. What it means, intervene means to intercede or meet mankind on his behalf, to say the thing that he wanted to say to mankind. That's what appalled God, not the absence of justice. Where's the message? Where is it? Where's the message of reconciliation? Those tasked to speak on his behalf weren't saying it. And in our time, what is it that God wants us to say? The world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. The church cannot reflect what the church does not behold. What God does, he gives responsibility. Not just responsibility, he gives us a gift. A message of reconciliation. As we behold and reflect it, the world can see it. 
but if the church can't reflect, church can't reflect what it doesn't hold. So where does that lead us? Three things. Get the message. Do you have a clear idea what the message is? What is the message? The message of? What is it? Message of? Reconciliation. And here's what it is. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has given us and trusted to us the message of reconciliation. We are to get it, guard it, give it. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thanks for Paul and for clarity. Well, he really dials it in. Uh, in order to be able to be of one heart and speak with one voice, we've got to be of one mind. And you want us to be single-minded about what the message is. doesn't mean that's, yeah, well, what does it mean? If we're going to, if we're going to avoid missing the forest for the trees, we've got to understand what the forest is, what the main thing you want us to know is the Bible is a big book and it has all kinds of stuff, but there's one major thing that you want us to understand about it. It's the forest thing. It's the message of reconciliation, that you were reconciling the world to yourself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Would you help us to get it, guard it, and give it in Jesus' name? Amen.